I really feel uh, the Lord's been placing on my mind again about prayer. And uh, so this message this morning is the power of prayer, and uh, that's going to come up shortly. The power. <laughs> we're going to do the message, but we're going to start with a video, all right? Um, thanks, Shelby. She's doing a great job back there. We'll um, just run this video. <laughs> If you look at the video, you actually realize that some of those categories you're probably praying for at the moment, um, and others will be praying for other areas as well. You know, it's in our hands. The power of prayer is in our hands, really. It's really a story to say the power of a lot of things in our life is in our prayer. Tell me, if you knew God would answer your prayer today, you know, even within the next hour, if you knew that he was going to pray, answer one prayer what would you ask for? What would that prayer be? If you thought to yourself right now, now if there's just one thing I really wanted, what would it be? And holding on to that thought, now ask yourself, what are the chances of receiving what I ask? Hmm. No chance? <laughs> Half a chance? Or maybe every chance? Because I think sometimes we categorize our prayers. We'd say, I'd really like this, but I just don't know if he could do it. It would be safe to say that most of us here would pray sometimes every day. Others maybe a little less. Some very short prayers. Others maybe more in depth or more meaningful. But all in all, probably everyone here believes in prayer. You know, it's one of the things that I like to ask people if I'm actually witnessing, I you know, have the courage to go out into the community and, and try and strike up a conversation. I just ask people, do you pray? And I, you'd be amazed that most people pray, and yet they don't know actually who they're praying to. We had a couple of Japanese uh, homestay girls staying for us for a little while, and they were happy to pray at Grace. We used to say Grace, and they said, we do as well. So back in Japan, they, but we asked them, who are you praying to? And they don't know. Don't know. It's just a, a custom. It's, it's a habit. Our family, we always pray at grace. So it's nice to be able to share who they could, you know, be actually praying to. Most people pray. And like me, I'm sure you want to see an increase in answered prayer. 
You want to see that the percentage of prayers that you pray, actually more of them get answered. I think the enemy holds up prayers to us and says, God hasn't answered that, God hasn't answered that. But what we fail to see that he's actually answering our prayers all the time. If we actually listed our prayers and said, yes, he answered that. I asked that he would give me a good day. He did. I asked that he would look after my family as they traveled, and he did. But often we don't come back and say, you know, what has God done? We don't actually go back and say, thank him for that. So our prayers are usually more than our thanks. You know, we go into the takeaway. I love takeaways. I love fish and chips. But when I go in there and make my order, in fact, I, up here I phone now. By the time you drive there, it's such a small town that's ready. So you can phone up, drive in, pick them up, and out you go. But generally, when you go in and you make an order, who goes out without taking their order with them? You don't. You wait for your order, you take your order, and out you go. Well, it's a bit like that when we pray. If we're not aware of what we're actually praying, we come away not realizing that God's actually done it. And then the enemy comes in and discourages us. But as I prepared this message, the Holy Spirit reminded me that some prayers are dead in the water before they even begin, stalled at the starting gate. Can anybody remember the, what the term Le Mans start? Anybody know what that means? Le Mans start. One hand went up. Well, in the, in, in the continent there, when the, the Le Mans race, is that they'd have all the sports cars lined up against the wall, and on the other side, they'd have all the drivers lined up. And then when it said go, they had to run across the field, I mean, run across the track, get in their cars, try not to stall, and then head off. And it was quite chaotic. Even the people that had pole position at the beginning didn't always get their cars started. So somebody further back could actually get a jump on them. All right, so that's called a Le Mans start. Well, if you stalled your car, your car wasn't going to go anywhere, and it was quite embarrassing. But with our prayers, also, they can be just stalled. They're not going to go anywhere. So I thought I would like to mention two or three so that you're not in that category. Firstly, people who doubt God, doubt he will answer, doubt he even hears their prayer, will actually receive nothing. So if we start off doubting God, we've actually stalled our car. We've stalled our prayer. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it'll be done for him. You agree? So we've got to say to check ourselves to say, What's the point in asking it if we don't believe he's going to do it? What's the point in asking it if we don't actually believe he's going to hear me? In Hebrews, we read the, the opposite to doubt. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him in prayer must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. All right, so if we look at the previous verse, if we just go back to slide two, Shelby. If you doubt, you don't get anything. All right, if you come back into slide three there again and look at Hebrews eleven six, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there's a choice there, and that's something that we need to check. Doubting is a big problem, and I'm sure the enemy seizes on our doubt, highlighting those prayers. You know, let's say, you let's take a big prayer. Let's say, it's not a big prayer to God, but it's a big prayer to us. Let's say we've been wanting healing over something. 
All right? And the enemy just puts that doubt in, oh, he hasn't done it, he hasn't done it, you know, and then we start to doubt ourselves. And again, we forget about all the things that he has done. But to God, prayer is a prayer, and it's a communication with him. Now, how many of you doubted God would answer that prayer you thought of a few minutes ago? Give me a wave. Be honest. How many actually, you, that was such a big prayer, you thought, oh, I don't know if God could do that. Anybody did that? Come on. It's just common. It's common. And I find I'm doing it myself. But we must see that God deliberately chose prayer as the vehicle to bring us to him. Now, if you just think about that in a moment, how do we connect to God? It's through prayer, isn't it? There's really no other vehicle. Now, sure, he gives us the word, but he wants a to and fro. He gives us the word so we can learn about him and he can communicate to us, but he wants a two-way street. Jesus had just finished teaching the disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer when he said and, uh, in Luke 11, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. The promise, this is a promise, but doubt closes the door. He went on to say, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In both these stories, he's trying to, having just taught the disciples the Lord's Prayer, you know, and you know, we can recite that, Our Father out in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I mean, we've learned that. I'm sure they weren't sitting there, the disciples, you know, and he was saying, okay, let's do that again. Our Father out in heaven. No, we can do it properly. Come on, Our Father without in heaven. He wasn't teaching them, you know, a poem. He wasn't teaching them a verse. He was just teaching them how to pray. He was giving them an example how to pray. And then he was probably looking at them and saying, well, you still really don't get it. It's a bit like us now. You don't really get it. So then he told these stories about it. If you seek, you can find. If you knock, the door will be open to you. He's saying, for everyone who asks, receives. That's his plan. And then to go on to say, well, why would the Father give you something else? I'm sure some of us think that the Lord goes and hides when we pray. You know, he's hard of hearing, but that is not the case. During his ministry on earth, Jesus commended person after person for their faith, much faith, great faith, and rebuked the disciples for their little faith. He, he often had a go at them for their little faith. Passing through towns that had no faith. So faith needs to be important and we can ask God to increase our faith. Where does faith live, by the way? Where does your faith live? Yeah. Where does faith live? Nobody wants to save in case they're wrong. Where does Christ live? In your heart. It says that in Ephesians, doesn't it? That he lives in our heart. Okay, the fullness of Christ is where? In us. All right, so faith, the fullness of faith, all the faith you need is in you. You actually can't ask God for more faith if you realize it's actually inside you. But you can ask him to increase my faith, allow it to flow, allow it to come out. 
I'm sure Jesus' faith was increased by him just obeying the Father. You know, the Lord, the Father probably said to him, you know, look, you're going to go to a, a wedding uh, with your mother, and I've got a, a real surprise. I'd like you just to, you're going to run out of wine in there, and I'd just like you to turn some water into wine. What? Yeah, okay, I'll trust you. And, of course, they go to the wedding, and, they, of course, they run out of wine again, and then the Lord says, it's not my time yet. So the mum says, come on, just do as you're told. <laughs> And uh, anyway, he turns the water into wine. And then he goes back, you imagine that, to the Father. It worked, it worked. And his faith would grow. And it's the same with us. Our faith can grow if we actually do what he's asking us to do. He says, in slide six, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in heaven. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, you could look at this verse and think, well, I need to be in my room. I need to be in the closet. And that is a good place to pray. But it's the key points he's trying to show us here. That again, he's trying to say, when you pray, He's trying to get us to connect with him because he wants to connect with us. You know, Jesus says, don't babble. Don't babble. Tell God, you know, straight what you want him to hear. Sometimes we have a funny sort of a prayer when we're praying in public. When we're just talking to God, we're talking to God. When we're talking to people, we're talking to people. When we're asking for something, you know, um, Salim, would you mind making me a cup of tea? You know, it's just straight like that. But sometimes when we get together as Christians, we have this other talk. And I actually wonder whether God actually, in a funny sense of a way, says, who's that talking? They don't talk like that normally. You know, I'm listening to their thoughts all day, and uh, I see all their interactions with people. But now when they come before me, it's God this and God that and God this and God that, if you know what I mean. Just talk to him straight. Just, just tell him what you want. Be straight up with him, because if you're listening, he's straight back up with you. He says, Paul, I understand, but I want you to do this. You know, he's straight up with us. Learn to hear that. And I think in large groups of prayer, I find myself babbling. You know, you're walking around praying, everybody's praying, and then you realize that your mind's somewhere else and your lips are doing something else. I've got to, you know, come back and correct myself. And I'm not picking on anybody here, but I remember when I first became a pastor and we had to come up and pray in front of everybody. You know, when you're just part of the congregation, you're just part. But when you become a pastor, they expect you to be able to pray. It just automatically happens. But anyway, I was just praying this, dear Lord, and dear Lord, and dear Lord. And somebody said to me, do you realize you're actually doing that? No. (laughs) So I had to really think about how I was praying because I didn't want to distract other people. Now, there's no right and wrong, but it's just encouraging to know that we just need to talk to God in a straight way. And then, of course, believe that it is done. God created prayer as the primary way to bring us into personal relationship with him. And it's the portal, in other words, an opening that brings the power of heaven down to earth. So our prayer brings the power of heaven to earth. The Apostle John tells us in his first letter, 
This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we've asked. All right? My challenge to me and to you as well with this is because you're running through your mind is saying, I've prayed heaps of prayers, but they haven't been answered. But it's not God because he set up this for us. It's us. We've got to really look at ourselves. So the second prayer that is not going to get us off the starting line is praying with the wrong motives. James 4 tells us, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. All right? The New King James Version says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. Now, amiss, there are two words translated amiss in the New Testament. There's either adipos, referring to that which is improper or harmful, wicked or morally wrong, or kakos, refers to that which is evil in the sense of a disaster. And that's the one here. The purpose of the prayer is evil. It is therefore amiss and cannot be granted. You can imagine a bank robber, I'm just going to be silly here, but a bank bank robber wants success. So he says to God, I'd like help in robbing banks, you know. Or, you know, something that can be like that, that, well, we're just asking because we want to feather our own nest. You know, our prayers could be that it's just for us, really, selfishly. You know, I read the story one, a little while ago about the man who stood before the Lord. And we're told that we'll have to give an account when we get to heaven. We'll give an account of our lives. And before us, people have said they've seen their lives flash before them, and that's what happens. But when you get to heaven and your life flashes before you, you see it from God's perspective. So your life is being recalled of how you lived your life. So you'll be able to see all the good and all the bad. But now, because you're in heaven, you'll be able to see it from God's perspective. So you'll be able to see whether your life was selfish or unselfish. And you will want rushed through the video. You'd want it on fast forward for all the selfish stuff, hoping that you'd come to something that you did unselfishly. And this man that was um, telling us this story and what happened to him when he actually died and the Lord actually let him come back, he realized that just about everything he did had a selfish motive. And even wanting to be a doctor, um, it was because he was after the, the pay packet. He could see it and the, the, the private jet and the fast car, all right? Because he was hoping to trick Jesus into thinking he was doing it out of humanity, but he actually saw through his eyes. So I think when our prayer comes that if we align ourselves with God and don't have ulterior motive or evil desires, then, then God can answer those prayers. So when we begin, do we ask, is this a miss? Am I aiming in the wrong direction here? Or am I praying something that lines up with God's will? You know, in um, 1 John, if I just jump down to slide number 10, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 
If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. This is what I don't like about the yin and yang. Um, if you've got, you know, the yin and yang, it's got a circle and it's got a, a teardrop white with a little black dot in it and a teardrop black with a little white dot in it. And this is the enemy's trick. This is what he says. This is, he wants us to believe that this is God and this is the devil. So the devil wants you to believe that in the black, there's a little bit of good. And he wants you to believe that in God, the white, there's a little bit of evil. Now, we know there is no evil in God at all. And the, God, the devil always wants you to trick. You know, people say, well, how come there are, there are wars in the country? You know, there are wars in the world, you know? You know, how come? And they're blaming God for this. And yet the, the devil's wanting you to think that he's actually going to be kind to you. That when you go to hell, that you'll be able to go and party with your mates. You often hear that. Look, I'm happy to go to hell. I'll be with all my mates. As if, God, if, if for some reason, once the devil's got you to hell, that he's going to want you to enjoy yourself. He doesn't want you to enjoy yourself here on earth. Do you think he wants you to enjoy yourself in hell? What do you think hell is? You know what I mean? It's a trick. There is no evil in God whatsoever. So no matter the person praying, the passion behind the prayer, or the purpose of the prayer, God only answers prayers that are in agreement with his will. In 1 John it says, this is the confidence we have. It's a confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. His answers aren't always yes or what we feel should happen, but we can guarantee they will be in our best interest. You know with a child who's you know is too young for a bike, they just want a bike, and you know they'll go out and kill themselves on it. So you hold off. You wait until you feel that they're mature enough to have that bike. But you've heard their prayer. When our heart's desires line up with his will, we can enter that prayer closet boldly. The third reason we don't see answers to prayers is we give up too soon, or we don't put the effort in required for the task. You know, if you're trying to push a car, you've got to put some real effort in at the beginning. It's not going to work. If you want to get it started, and, you know, it coughs and coughs down the road and it doesn't start, then you've got to push it again. You've really got to, you know, put some effort in it. And sometimes prayer is like that as well. I know I've told this story before, but I like it. But Smith Wigglesworth walked into a funeral parlor on a mission from God. A man had been dead three days. Smith told the family to leave the room. He then grabbed the man by the lapels. You can imagine that. Leans over the coffin, grabs the man by the lapels, and stands him up against the wall. All right? Now, believing that he's going to come alive, he lets the guy go. So you can just picture that. And then he commanded the three-day-old corpse to live. Well, the stiff corpse fell to the ground with a thud. Smith grabbed the man again and propped him up against the wall and shouted, I told you once and now I tell you again, live. The body fell to the ground again. You can imagine what the relatives were thinking at this time. 
and the funeral director outside the room, this, the noise that was going on in there. Then a third time, Smith grabbed the body, put it up against the wall, pointed his finger at the body and demanded, I've told you once and I've told you twice, but I won't tell you again. Now live. Suddenly the man coughed, shook his head, wiped his face, and he worked, walked out of the room totally healed. Who's got that sort of faith in here? Give me a wave. Because I need you at the next funeral I've got to go to. <laughs> How easily do we give up? There is power in prayer. There is power in us because Christ lives in us. In this day of instant everything, we struggle to hang in there. We cook faster, travel faster, earn faster, spend faster. We can be like the African cheetah, can run at speeds of 112 kilometers an hour. But even though the cheetah can run very fast, it tires quickly because of its small heart. Is that you? Is that me? We tire too quickly in prayer. The times we do make it to the prayer closet and even attend a prayer, one or two prayer meetings a year, we often lack the heart for sustained prayer. We stop before enough power has been released through our prayers to get the answer we need. We don't even wake the enemy up, let alone frighten him. You know, oh, Paul's praying again, back to sleep. Now, does the enemy ever say that when you're praying? Or does he go, uh-oh, that person's in the prayer closet again. Or those two ladies have got together. Uh-oh, you know, Church Unlimited Kaitai is praying again. I'm in trouble. A while back, I attended a lovely life group. Lovely people, lovely meal, meaningful study, good discussion. It was all a great night. But as I left, I couldn't help but feel frustrated. Frustrated at our prayer. Without picking on this group, as, as this is a reflection on a lot of us, here was a room of great Christian men and women who had forgotten the absolute power residing in them. The devil should be very, very afraid when we Christians come together. He should be saying, I'm in trouble. That group is meeting again tonight. So I need to put some tax on the road, give somebody in the group an illness, cause another fight with his or her spouse. spouse. Somehow I need to stop that group getting together, right? So when your group is ringing up and they can't come and this and that, you know you're having some sort of effect. I doubt he even wakes up when some of our groups meet, honestly. Now, I'm being a bit harsh as a pastor, but I want to see change. I want to see change. When you guys come to pray in your groups, you've got to say to yourself, are we going to wake the enemy up? Shh, keep your voice down. Keep your voice down. We don't want to disturb the devil. We have enough trouble. Or do you want to make his, his place rattle, you know, as you guys pray? There's some shaking going on, and it needs to be coming from us. James 5 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain. And on, 
on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. You know, the New King James Version says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We just put that slide 15 up there. Effective means powerful in effect. Fervent, hot, glowing, intense. Is that what your prayer is like? Truly? At times it needs to be. At times it needs to be like that. And it's often easier to do that when you are with others. And of course avails, it profits, it benefits either you, your group, or the community. The powerful, intense prayer of you and me benefits many. And this is where we need to step into church. This is where we need to be going. This is the Bible. This is the truth at its best. This pulls you and me into God's plan to see change down here. Jesus said this then, is this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Surely that's what we want to see. A slice of heaven on earth. Whilst renovating a church in England and washing off layers of whitewash, the workers discovered a fresco, in other words, a painting on wet plaster, portraying a church full of people in medieval costumes. But sitting alongside every church member in the, in the uh, fresco was a little demon holding the members' mouths shut. The, uh, the artist obviously saw this as a serious issue in the church. Now, I'm hoping all the demons that you may have brought to church are waiting outside. We can cast them out. But sometimes you feel you bring them and you take them home again. You just have a bit of respite for an hour and a half in here. But, you know, we can take authority over these little blighters. We're not going to keep our mouths shut. We do believe in Ephesians 1.19 that says, The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. We do believe that you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Does anybody believe that? The one that's in us is greater than the one that's in the world? Got to get an amen out there, you know, to anybody who believes that? The Bible shows us time and time again that victory does come to the persistent. It comes to the committed and it comes to the determined in prayer. As a church, we can do this. It might take some practice, but let's have a go. Bring prayer back in strength in your groups. Go after stuff, personal stuff, community-changing stuff. Remember this well-known verse from Chronicles. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. In a, pre- in, a, in a life group, let's say, or in a small group when you come together, when it comes to the prayer time, you think of your biggest prayer. Think of what you really need breakthrough for. And you say to the group, I need breakthrough in this. And it will challenge the group. 
Because the, if you step out in faith, you will see it. But if you don't, you will always be held in captivity. And you'll pray, you know, we have a nice day and we travel home safely and all that sort of stuff. And I've been there and I do it. But I want to go after bigger stuff. I want to go after that headache that you've had the whole year. I want to go after that, that crippling disease. Or I want to go after what the doctor's spoken over you that doesn't line up with the word. I want to see a drop in suicide, especially youth suicide in the community. I want to see less depression. Does anybody else agree? Unemployment. I want to see employment rise. Less violence in this community. Less theft and burglaries. How's that going to happen? Spiritual warfare. We can watch movies about the Second World War. We can watch the victories that the British had. But if you actually read the books, you'll see that that was one on prayer. The intercessors went in to pray. Britain should have been overrun. It was a little island. Dunkirk, that should have been, they couldn't even hit them. It was the power of prayer. That battle, those battles were won on prayer and on the intercession. We can do big stuff. As a church, we need to be together to do that, though. Anybody up for that? We just want to come along and warm the pew. I'm happy that you come. Please come and warm the pew. But we've got work to do. We've got more to do. So we're going to do something this morning. We're going to pray. We're going to pray faith-filled prayers. There are thousands upon thousands of churches praying all around the world. Some hidden because they're going to be persecuted. Others open. Others in huge arenas. But we're Church Unlimited Kaitaia, and we're called to Kaitaia and beyond. And we want to make a difference in Kaitaia.